We hope you enjoy this message from Matt Bruce, recorded at Equipus Church, Dunedin. For more information, please visit equipuschurch.com. You guys can take a seat. Man, I just want to celebrate all you who got baptized tonight. What a privilege to be in the house tonight and see you you take that step and just to see Jesus, how he's worked through your life and he's going to continue to work. I'm so excited about all the testimonies that are coming from you all. Um, so I don't want to bypass this moment without celebrating um, all, who, all who got baptized tonight. That's what it's really about. That's what it's really about. It's, it's about worship. It's about life's transformed. Um, so it's a real honor to share that evening with you tonight. Um, I feel like we just need to take a breath. I feel like a lot's been happening tonight. We're only an hour into the service, and I'm like, whew, feels like I've been here three hours because of how much has happened. So I think we just need to take a wee breather. Like, thank you, Jesus, for a bit of space right now. Um, Why don't we pray? It's always a good breather. Jesus, we thank you that you're with us tonight. God, I thank you that your, your presence in our world makes a difference. It makes such a massive difference, Father. So we, we come here tonight to acknowledge you and we're expecting uh, for what you're going to share. Uh, I pray you'd speak through me um, and that our hearts would be greatly encouraged as we leave tonight. I thank you for your presence with us in your mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. So good. Well, if you don't know me, my name is Matt. Um, I get the privilege of serving this church uh, with my wife, Abby. We lead the young adults. Um, it honestly is such a great privilege, such a great privilege to be by a university uh, where people come in every year afresh and we get to capture them for a moment and then release them. So good. So as I said, I'm married. It's pretty exciting. Um, but marriage also has some challenges. <laughs> Not that she presents, mostly I present. Um, but you may be able to relate tonight. Sometimes um, Abby will text me or we'll be in the same room. So she'll ask me, she'll go, Matt, can you go to the fridge or can you go to the freezer and get this thing out so that it's ready for dinner in the night? You know, like, Matt, could you go to the freezer and get the chicken out? Because we're having chicken tonight and it needs to defrost. And I'm like, yeah, I can do that. I can do that. So I head on over to the fridge or the freezer and I'm looking all through it. And I'm like... Where is the chicken? I cannot find the chicken for the love of me. And I'm like, I'm a good husband. I'm going to persevere and look for this, look for the chicken. And it's like, I cannot see the chicken. And maybe sometimes she's in the next room and I'm like, where'd you put it? She's like, oh, second shelf. It's not there. I'm like, it's just not there. She's like getting more frustrated. Like, seriously, it's just get a bit of chicken out. Like, sort your life out. So she gets so frustrated that she walks in and she's like, I'll have a look myself. And I'm like, okay, okay, you have a look yourself. And behold, in the second shelf is the chicken. (laughs) And I'm like, how? Jesus, what did you do with the chicken in between me looking for it and her looking for it? Like, the chicken wasn't there, and now it is. And now it is. Do you know that I don't only have a problem with finding things in the fridge, sometimes I have a problem seeing just the fridge. <laughs> I, um, I worked 
uh, as, a, as a furniture removalist over a couple of summers. And in my second summer, they gave me a bit more responsibility. So I got to lead the teams into the houses. But if you're the team leader, you're the one who has to do all the checklists and make sure everything's in the truck, ready to go away. So at the end of the move, you walk around, checking that everything's gone, and then sign it off, and you're out of there. Anyways, this one week, I think it was early in the week, I went to one house, thought I nailed the job, it was awesome, and then um, closed the door, signed it all off, brilliant, everything's in there. The next morning, I get a call, um, Matt, the owners just said that you've left the fridge behind. <laughs> I'm like, what fridge? There's no fridge in that house, they must have gone and bought a new one, because I definitely packed the fridge. No, you didn't, Matt. I'm like, what? I have a problem even seeing a massive fridge. And the bad thing was it happened twice in one week. I was like, man, I got problems. And it, and it is a real problem. It's a real condition, guys. It's called man's eyes. Man's eyes. There's many sufferers around the world from this condition called man's eyes. It's like you can't even see the very thing that's in front of you. And then you get in trouble because you can't see the very thing that's in front of you. And it's like, it wasn't there. It just wasn't. So if you're a sufferer, man's eyes, we'll be praying later uh, this evening. You can come down and receive prayer. Uh, later for man's eyes, I'll be down there. Uh, obviously not praying because I'm a sufferer. Um, <laughs> but man's eyes, it's a real thing, real thing. <laughs> there you go. Breaking the generational ties. Um, <laughs> hey, tonight the, the title of my message is just, I want to see. <laughs> I want to see, and I want to head to Mark 10, uh, verse 46 to 52. If you turn with me there tonight. Who's thankful for the little strings that Bibles give you? I think they're awesome. They help me a lot. So Mark 10, verse 46 to 52. Where are we? Here we are. It starts, it says, Then they came to Jericho. This is Jesus and his disciples. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up. On your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, which means teacher, I want to see. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, Jesus said, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Wow, great story. Um, if that person was in the room tonight, he'd probably be cheering right now because he received his sight. Like, it's pretty, pretty significant, right? Do you know that sometimes in life we're like metaphorically blind? It's like, is that the right word? Metaphoric, metaphorically blind. And sometimes we're even like man's eyes, we're unintentionally blind. It's like, man, I just, the cake was not in the fridge. It just wasn't. I know this thing. But we're unintentionally blind, Right? We men also have another condition. <laughs> Matt confesses all night. Uh, we men also have another condition, and this one's um, not so nice. It's called pride. <laughs> Ooh. 
And this pride means that we cannot ask for directions. We cannot ask for directions. And I'm not just talking about driving. I'm talking about life. Say, no, I got this. I got this thing. You know, it's all good. So when you couple the fact, those two conditions together, there's a potent mix there. It's like it just results in us walking around, banging into everything because we can't even see the things that are in front of us when they're right in front of us. And then what's worse is we won't ask for guidance. <laughs> oh, no, I'm fine. Bank. I'm fine. Ah, good, eh? Didn't even hurt. Didn't even hurt. I'm a man. Glossing downs. Come on, aren't we, aren't we humans so advanced? Talks about how we're, we're, we're so advanced as the human race. It's like, wow, we're amazing. We men have got it sussed. By the way, pride isn't just a... A male issue. It's kind of like a humanity issue. So if you were like jabbing your husband right now, stop. <laughs> Give him a break. Grace of Jesus is on his life. Come on. Men are great. Come on. We're champion men by God. He cares about us. We're not less than. He loves us. Don't feel bad if you're a man. I don't. I don't. So this man anyway, Bartimaeus. This man Bartimaeus is not just suffering from man's eyes. He's, he's properly blind. He's properly blind and he hears Jesus is there and he calls out to him for mercy. In other words, he calls out for, to Jesus for guidance. So like, I need you, Jesus, I need mercy. And Jesus calls him over and asks him, what would you like me to do for you? And he just says, Rabbi, I want to see. I want to see. You see, too often I think we can walk around blind by choice. So I know I'm all good with this thing. I can't see much, but I'm happy with it. Come on, we can live walking around blind, unable to see things, unable to understand how God could be in something, unable to see how He could come through in something, unable to see Him alone. It's like, God, I don't even know if You exist because I can't see You. I can't see You. We're perhaps unintentionally blind. But like my wife has taught me, just because you can't see it, it doesn't mean it ain't there. It appears when they open the fridge. It's magic. Magic. Do you know there was actually a moment in my life, I remember this story when I was thinking about sight. There's a moment in my life um, where foresight or being able to see something that wasn't physically present was of the utmost importance. And I remember the story, I was like, whoa, I forgot that, but that's so significant. And the story goes is that we used to live up in, uh, just near Ramfurly in Central Otago for around a year and a half. And um, would drive back and forth from Dunedin. Anyway, me and mum had made a trip down and we're on the way home in the car and we were stuck behind this like, uh, like big truck and it was getting super frustrating and mum was a little agitated. You can tell when someone's like, I wanna pass, like. <laughs> um, you could tell she's getting a little agitated and I think I, would, I must have only been around 10. Um, but there was a point where her agitation grew so much that she went to flick her indicator on to pass out. And in that moment, I just said, um, I just said no, there's a truck coming. I don't know why, why I said that. I, I didn't see no truck. I couldn't see the road in here. But literally two to five seconds later, a double uh, tra like truck and trailer, uh, what do you call it, like milk carrier, like tanker, rushes on past. So we would have been on the other side of the road. And I know that sounds super strange to you, but for me it was very real. The consequence of that moment of foresight where I was a supernatural, I didn't know that that was like, like I literally never seen a truck out there, and as a young boy, I just call out, no, don't go, there's a truck. Um, 
That moment was very real for me and my mum. The consequences of that moment was very real to us and our family. Because it's like, man, I might not be here if it wasn't for that foresight, if I wasn't able to see something that wasn't physically there, but then it came. So I know that sounds strange, but for me it was very real. And I believe that in that moment, God allowed me to see something supernatural. It was like I had foresight from him. Perhaps there are things present that we're unaware of, that we're unaware of, and therefore because we cannot see them, we feel that we have not experienced it, so we doubt their existence, which is a fair assumption. So I haven't seen it, therefore I can't experience it, therefore it probably doesn't exist, right? So too often we walk around blind by choice. Bartimaeus didn't have a choice about his blindness until Jesus turned up in his situation. He sort of had to deal with that. But then Jesus comes on by. And when Jesus gives him a moment to ask for something, he says, Rabbi, I want to see. I want to see. And Jesus heals his sight. Do you know that all we need to simply do is ask, Jesus, I want to see. I don't understand the situation right now, but I want to see. I don't even know if you're real right now, God, but maybe I want to see tonight. I want to see. Jesus, I can't see how you're coming through in this situation. But help me see. But help me see. Bartimaeus could have asked for a lot of things. He'd spent his whole life asking probably for money. But it's interesting that when Jesus walks by, he knows what he wants to ask for. And it's something that had an eternal consequence. So maybe you want to ask that, hey, help me see God. Help me see you in this situation. Maybe you're thinking right now, um... Matt, are you saying that I'll physically see Jesus or I'll physically see God? That's a, that's a fair enough statement. Um, if I'm honest, probably not. You may. Some people have. My own experience is I haven't actually physically seen Jesus in his physical form. But man, have I seen him. <laughs> that sounds weird, but man, have I seen him. Come on, time and time again, I've experienced him. I've experienced him. As a seven-year-old dyslexic boy who couldn't read or write, I'd ask Jesus to allow me, hey, Jesus, allow me to see how you're going to come through for me in education. And man, he's come through day after day, week after week, year after year, high school, university, internship, amazing grades. Like, I don't get why I'm here, Jesus, but wow, I've experienced your goodness in my life. I've watched how you've worked through my life. Just like the testimonies tonight, man, dire situations or the situations of confusion where there's been a moment where they've seen and it transitioned them. Man, I could take up the next hour (laughs) that we don't have, uh, the next hour and pretty much tell you that in my heart I know God. That in my heart I know God and that He's real to me and that I could tell you all my experiences of Him, right? And that would paint, your, paint a picture of what I see for you. That'd be like, oh, that's cool, Matt. That's what you see. That's great. But the thing is, you'll know um, from catching up with a friend who's just got back from a holiday um, that hearing is one thing, but seeing, experiencing something for yourself is another thing. It's really hard to be excited for your friends. It's like, that's awesome that you got to go on holiday. I love your pictures. Sounds like it was the best time ever, but I ain't got the excitement, sorry, because I wasn't there. I didn't experience it. 
And as humans, to actually share excitement and, and a knowing of, of experience, we often try to relate it to something that we have experienced. It's like, okay, ah, oh, like that might be like that. But then we get into this trap where we just want to trump their story. Your holiday sounds great. It sounds exactly like my holiday 10 years ago. <laughs> one up, you. <laughs> now, what we do is we, we try to relate to an experience, but sometimes we don't have an experience that we can relate to another, so we don't share the same excitement. Tonight, I was able to be super excited about the testimonies of God because I've experienced something very similar. Maybe not in the details, but in Jesus' heart and His love for me and the way He's redeemed me. And it's like, wow. I've had the same experience. Baptisms are awesome. They're awesome. Jesus, you're so good. But maybe tonight you haven't experienced that. So you can't relate. And it's like, okay, your stories, okay, they're quite cool, but it's weird as well. But I can't relate tonight. Come on, maybe you could ask, Jesus, help me see. Rabbi, I want to I see. I want to see Come on, I'd like to see you come through in that area. Man, I haven't seen you move in that area, Jesus. I've been praying for a long time, but I haven't seen you move yet. Man, I'd like to see tonight. I'd like to see you in that situation. I'd like to see that you're real, that you're real. Maybe you're not interested in Jesus, and that's all good. But, but if you are interested in seeing Jesus, maybe you're thinking, well, what does experiencing Jesus actually do? Like, red, like, what does it actually do? Like, you guys seem a wee bit weird, but um, what, what does experiencing Jesus actually do in, in your life? And I think that's a fair enough question. Come on, if, uh, maybe you're thinking, if I make a decision to invite Jesus into my life, what actually happens? Because that's a weird concept. Like, what am I doing? Like, inviting him into my life. Like, sometimes I think we, we forget that when you haven't experienced it, it's very weird. It's very strange. Come on, the dominating assumption and one that sounds awesome for when you invite Jesus into your life is that everything gets better. So oh, everything's just better, you know. You won't struggle with anything. <laughs> you'll never get hurt. You'll never be disappointed. Life will be amazing. And it's like, I love to tell you that's the truth, <laughs> um, but we know it's not. We know, we know Jesus makes a difference. And I love what Libby said. She says, I, I can't praise Jesus for every situation, but I can praise him that he's in every situation that he's in every situation. So that's like the dominating perspective, right? Um, so maybe that doesn't answer your question. You're like, um, so what, Matt, what will happen if I experience him? Um, great question. <laughs> and I think we could stay here all night again uh, talking about what that may look like. First off, he's just gonna forgive your sin. The weight of that sin's gonna come off and then everything changes. <laughs> it's quite hard to actually say what happens when Jesus comes into your life, right? You know, you know so much happens, but you're not 100% sure how to decipher it with your words. So that description, again, is probably super unhelpful. <laughs> so I thought instead we could just look at one man's life from the Bible um, and look at how his experience with Jesus changed him. And I thought we could just look at Paul, because Paul's really interesting. I, I think Paul's fascinating, um, incredible man, Seems a bit crazy. I don't know how I'd do if he was here today. Um, but he's great. So I think we could just look at Paul. Is that okay? Awesome. Um, let's turn to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, and we'll just read from 1 to 11. Um, I just believe, like, 
if you know anything about Paul, maybe you don't. Um, this guy used to be called Saul, now called Paul, um, now dead, <laughs> past tense. Um, but he wasn't the nicest guy. Like, uh, if you were going to go like the opposite of Christian, like Paul uh, or Saul, as he was known then, is, is potentially what you call him because he was on persecuting Jesus and, and the church and his followers. He's like, you guys are nuts. Like, stop ruining our Jewish traditions with your Jesus nonsense. Um, so he was wanting, he was like putting people in prison who followed faith. He stood alongside people as they were stoned to death and sort of approved of it because it's like, oh, there's Jesus followers. Um, but then Paul has an encounter with Jesus. <laughs> Jesus gets a hold of his life and all of a sudden he goes from being the one persecuting to the one who probably is the greatest advancer of the Christian faith in the history of time. Is Jesus real? Um, maybe, maybe. Um, let's read 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 11. It says this, it's a message to a, uh, one of the churches that he helped plant um, in Corinth and region where he is from. And it's just a letter there and it says this, it says, now brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was bur buried Oh, that's a hard word. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas, who is also known as Peter, and then to the 12 disciples. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. That's a nice way of saying they died. Then he appeared to James. Then to all the apostles, stay with me. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, Paul considers himself, last of all, he appeared to me also as one and normally born. This is where I want to land it in these next scriptures here. It says, for I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, man, I'm so glad we're a church who believes in his grace. Can we just stop there and just thank Jesus for his grace? It's like, wow, well, you're not going to be judged in this place. It doesn't matter where you've come from. His, his grace is good enough. That's encouraging. So it says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. I am who you say I am. Maybe you know that song. <laughs> but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Humble. <laughs> no, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach and this is what you believed. I just want to unpack three things that happened as in a consequence of Paul experiencing Jesus. Cool? Awesome. Number one is simply, um, I'll just go quickly and then we'll explain them. Cool? The, uh, the three points are just what we read last. It says, number one is, but by the grace of God, I am who I am. Or, yeah, I am who I am or what I am. Number two, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but by the grace of God that was with me. And number three, whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach. Let's unpack that because you're like, I don't get that. Right? You're like, I, I don't know what you're on about, man. Um, but number one, 
when you experience Jesus, the first thing is you know you've experienced the love of Jesus when suddenly your self-worth, your identity is now located in Jesus. A great sign that you've experienced Jesus is like, man, my self-worth is no longer in anything else but in Jesus. You see, your self-worth is easily identified when things aren't going well. It's like, you've had a terrible day and you get to bed and you're like, man, that was an awful day, but at least I've got a sports car. (laughs) Man, that was an awful day, but at least I've got an iPhone. (laughs) That was an awful day, but at least I've got a house. Man, today was shocking, but at least I've got a high-paying job. (laughs) At least I got that. Um, Man, today was the worst, but at least I've got the fittest body out of all my friends. Um, man, it was just like the worst day, but at least I got status. It's like my community knows I'm the man. In New Zealand, I rock on in there and I got my status points. Mm. Bad day, but I still got my status points. I'm not trying to rip on that. I probably shouldn't have joked about that so much because sometimes that's sort of where we fight our worth, right? It's like, wow, at least, at least I've got those things. But what happens is when you experience Jesus, all of a sudden that, that moment in the night when you're feeling like the world's against you and you feel like you've had a bad day, it'll be like, wow, at least I've got Jesus. It's a good sign that maybe Jesus has come into your world in a real way because it's like, wow, like, man, I can't believe you still love me, Jesus. It's like, wow, I didn't, I didn't think I was worth anything. Like, the reason I chased the sports car was because I thought I was rotten. <laughs> but man, Jesus, you love me? Wow, thank you so much. My self-worth is now lifted that, that you would send your son, God, to the cross just because you love me that much. Wow, my self-worth has now gone through the roof because it's not in anything I accumulate, but only in what Jesus has given Come on, it doesn't matter what's happening externally because I've been saved by Jesus. It doesn't matter what people are saying about me because Jesus extended His grace to all my failures. So I am what I am. I am what I am. His grace has been extended towards me and I am what I am. God actually loves me. I know you might want to judge me, but fair enough, but God loves me. <laughs> that thing you hate about me, Jesus still covered it with His grace and I'm pretty good. This is the real me. Come on, only we really know the real self. Even when we make our best attempts to provide a true self to someone, we, it's somewhat masked because we don't understand the concept of unconditional love that wow. Only God understands that kind of love. So my self-worth is in Him. Jesus is for me. My identity is in Him. Number one thing is to say, man, if you experience Jesus, your self-worth will no longer be in anything empty but in Jesus cool? But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Number two, you understand, oh, number two, it says, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. You understand that in life, you still have to work hard to move forward. Sometimes a a victory is getting out of bed when your alarm goes off and just getting out the door. It's like, I made it today. (laughs) Come on, sometimes it's a struggle just to move forward in life to still have fight even when you're going against the currents of the, lo- of the world, right? So Paul says, I worked harder than all of them, but then the next bit is that, like Paul once experienced Jesus, you realize you're not fighting alone. 
You realize you're not fighting alone. I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. It's like, wow, yeah, there's hard work, but I'm not fighting this alone. I'm not fighting this alone. God's fighting with you now. And I love it. He's giving you supernatural strength. Come on, Caitlin shared it tonight. Supernatural strength. In the season where she should have been diminished, God was using her to minister to people around her. That's a season of supernatural strength. And it sustains life. It sustains life. Come on, when you've experienced them, you understand that on rough days where it feels like life is uphill, where it feels like the current is trying to drag you under, you now understand and feel the supernatural strength of Jesus sustaining you through it all. That's such a nice feeling. <laughs> As a man, it's more like, oh, I, I do it on my own. I, I got it. Man, I, and often you get judged for that. It's like, wow, you're such a weak man. I'm like, I'm probably the strongest man out there because I'm humble enough to say I ain't got it. That's it's just one of my frustrations. It's like people look at you like you're an idiot when you follow Jesus, like you're weak. And it's like, do you realize it takes great strength to humble yourself? I don't say that to them because that's super judgy and I don't like judging. Um, <laughs> so forgive me, Jesus. But that's kind of what I'm thinking in my head. I'm like, well, how can I communicate that in a way that loves? I'm still working on it, so I'm not going to say it out loud to anyone yet because I'm working on my delivery. <laughs> Working on my delivery. Come on, you understand and feel the supernatural strength of Jesus in your life. You go through the roughest season and no one understands how you're still going and alive, let alone smiling. So often I talk to people, I'm like, do you realize you just went through the like, worst three years of any human being's existence ever and you're still smiling? I'm like, how'd you do that? They're like, I don't know. Um, must have been Jesus, because <laughs> I was battling, man, like really battling, but um, he seemed to carry me through. It was like, man, in that season, I just did the little that I could, and it was amplified by Jesus putting his weight behind me. Supernatural strength. Come on, I'm not extraordinary, but something extraordinary lives in me and works on my behalf. Number one, when you've experienced him, your self-worth becomes in something steady in Jesus. Number two, it's just like, wow, there's a supernatural strength about the way I do life now. Did the seasons change that I walked through? No, but is there someone with me in the season? Yes. Number three, once you've experienced God, you will live a life of security. Man, this one's the best. You'll live a life of security. If you ask anyone, what's the most attractive thing about a person? It's like, okay, what's the most attractive thing about your husband? What's the most attractive thing about your wife? What's the most attractive thing about the person you like? And I bet most of the time it will be security. It's like they're secure in who they are. Like I, don't, I don't have to walk in there with a crutch and fix their problems or I don't have to do anything like that because they're just secure. They know who they are. They know that Jesus' grace covers them. I can get behind that. So it's like, wow, their security is so attractive. When someone knows who they are, it's like, that's so attractive. So attractive. Once you've experienced God, you live a life of security. Paul was like, it doesn't really matter who gets the credit for the preaching that leads the people to Jesus. All that matters is that I just get to be a part of it. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach. It doesn't matter who gets the credit because I just get to be a part of it. 
Man, I was the guy who, who watched while Christians were killed and I approved of it. And now I get to be a part of the advancement. Like Paul understands, it's like, wow, I just get to be a part of this thing. Are you serious, Jesus? Are you sure you don't want to send me to hell? No, no, my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. I love you. I'm for you. Those people you killed anyway, they're in heaven. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Put it off your mind. They're in a great place right now. In fact, he's right beside the jacuzzi with me. No, not at all. That's, that's not a theological sound presentation of heaven, so let's move on. Um, come on, he just understands that it doesn't matter who gets the credit for the preaching that leads people to Jesus. It's just that he gets to be a part of it. Um, Paul was no longer driven by the need for people's constant approval. Wow. How exhausting is it having to go after people's approval constantly? I don't know about you, but I'm pretty exhausted. It's like, man, I am sick and tired of having to be approved by everyone. Do you like my shoes? Do you like my haircut? Did I order the right coffee? Do you like my sports car? Did I get a high enough paying job for your acceptance right now? Can I join your club? Does my hair look all right today? What about my pants? They're new. They said they were in fashion. Do I look good? Do I look real good? Man, how did you think I played today? How do you think I preached today? Uh, was I a real good friend today? Uh, like, do you approve of the way I love you? Or am I raising kids well? Or like, or is that doing a bad job of that as well? Or like, do you love me for who I am? Or is it just because I provide finances for you? It's like, man, can you just approve me right now? Because I don't know where I stand with you and I need some approval. I need some approval because without it, I feel lost. But Paul's no longer driven by the need for people's constant approval. Wow, give me some of that, Paul. Send some of that back down here. I want it because this is exhausting, going after people's approval. Come on, it never rests, never satisfies, and it robs life. May I get the keys back up because I was going to keep going on. But when you experience Jesus, he had such a value to your life that you no longer need the approval of others. Wow. When you accept him, he had such a value to your life that you no longer need the approval of others. And now instead of being that person who needs everyone to value you, you become the person who is free to value everyone else. Wow. How freeing is that when you can walk in a room where there's a whole bunch of people who are way more attractive than you, like you guys? And I'm like, wow, you're the most attractive person in the earth. And it's like, you just got new clothes, but you're just wanting to, to walk into that room and go, wow, I noticed that you got a new dress. Man, you look great. You look great. It's like, man, and if the comment come back, that's nice because it's like, cool, like, like we do need encourage from time to time. We're, we're people, right? But it's like, I don't need your approval to know that I have a worth. And I, I think the most attractive thing about a person is when they walk in and they're amazing, but they couldn't give a toss whether your eyes, their eyes are on you or not. Or like, it's just like, wow, they're just so focused on everyone else. It's like they walk in the room and it's just like, wow, 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 wow. And they're just pouring out value on people because they're like, got my, got my fill from Jesus. Um, don't, like, I love you and I need your affirmation, but I don't need your approval. I'm approved by Christ. Come on, in New Zealand, we actually have a culture that goes directly against it directly against us. It's called tall poppy syndrome. 
tall coffee syndrome and it's where we feel the need to cut everyone else down to our size. It's like, you're threatening my position in society and my worth in this friendship group. You're going to have to go down. <laughs> That's our culture. And I recently heard a podcast by Craig Rochelle and it was embarrassing because he was talking about the need for people to encourage one another. And he identified New Zealand and Australia as the very, uh, he talked about tall poppy syndrome. I'm like, wow, that's embarrassing. We're known as people who can't deal with other people achieving. Dang, that sucks. And it's weird that in New Zealand, we like to call ourselves humble. We call this trait humility. So, oh, we're humble. That's why everyone stays on this level. But humility doesn't fuel the the tall poppy syndrome. What fuels it is insecurity. I think sometimes we just want to be the big fish in the little pond. (laughs) Sam says this. He says, lots of people come to him and say, I want to make a difference. But it's where they put the emphasis. They say, I want to make a difference. Instead of, I want to make a difference. Where's your emphasis? Man, I feel like I'm, I love you guys, by the way. So what fuels it is insecurity. When you are secure like Paul, It doesn't matter who is externally better than anyone else. It doesn't matter who gets the credit for the great things that are happening. All that matters is that a great thing is happening and he gets to be a part of it. The man who once had a vendetta against Jesus and his disciples not just gets accepted into the family and gets to be a part of sharing the good news. He's like a loved son of God and he's given a place. Wow. Wouldn't it be great to be free from the need for approval from others? Wouldn't it be great to know your self-worth in Jesus? Wouldn't it be great to have a supernatural strength? Wouldn't it be great to just walk freely because it's not like I'm looking for everyone else to justify me. It's like, no, I'm already justified. I'm already justified. It doesn't doesn't really matter what people say about me because I just get to be a part of it. That's just a little snapshot of what happened in Paul's life when he experienced Christ. Maybe you've experienced Christ. You're like, my life doesn't actually look like that yet. Come on, could I encourage you tonight? If you have already invited Christ into your life, why don't you just start putting a demand and go, wow, I quite like some of that. Right now in my life, I'm dealing with insecurities and I feel like I do need the approval of everyone else. I feel like I'm stuck in a comparison, uh, like we're all like a rat in a little chasing thing. And it's like, Jesus, I'd just love to actually, actually know your approval right now so I don't have to walk around so afraid and insecure. Maybe it's like, man, this season sucks and I'm really downbeat and I actually don't know if I've got the strength to keep going. Jesus, could you put some supernatural strength behind what I'm doing? Maybe right now your worth is at an all-time low when you've let the media define who you are more than you've let Jesus define who you are. And you're just like, man, could I have some self-worth? Maybe you've never experienced Jesus at all and you're like, wow, Rabbi, I'd like to see. I'd like to see. Maybe this thing isn't so bad. Maybe this thing isn't so weird after all. Maybe maybe it's actually something that's going to bring refreshment into my life. Come on, Paul. What's so encouraging is that Paul was the least worthy guy. If we went on a hierarchical scale, which Jesus never does, of bad to worse, lots of people think some sins are ranked, they're not. It's a separation. And anything that's separation is ultimately not in our best interests. Because when Jesus, we want to be close to him. That's why, that's why Jesus bridged the gap. But in, in terms of hierarchical structure, Paul was probably the least likely guy to ever turn to Christ. And what I love is like the blind man, he has an encounter that actually leaves him blind. <laughs> it's a reversal. 
He's on the road, um, is it Damascus? He's on the road to Damascus and he's actually going to another, another town because he's got sick of persecuting all the Christians in one town. So he's going to another town for a refresher so he can start again. And um, he's like, I need more people to persecute. Um, so he's on this road and, and, and Jesus encounters him. Amazing bright light, he actually goes blind and he loses his sight. But I think that's so significant. Sometimes we need to lose our external sight so that internal sight can start to come into it. And in that moment, a spiritual transaction happened where he began to see Jesus. And it was like, wow, I, like this very thing I've been persecuting now makes sense in my life. And he, and, he, and he was stuck in this, like, I don't know where he was stuck, but he was blind. He couldn't do anything. He was crying out. And then God sends someone to go to see him. And this guy comes in and his, his sight is restored to him. But this guy declares a, 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 a calling over his life. So many people don't believe they have a calling because they don't believe they have Jesus. Jesus cares about every single one of us. So, so he comes into this room and he, and he, and he restores, Jesus restores the sight to him and he gives him a calling. And the very guy who persecuted Christians is now the guy who's the greatest advancer of the gospel. What? Like, that's remarkable. If you could think right now of the person who you think's the furthest away from Christ, even though they're not, we're one decision. And think about that they're gonna be the one who plants a church in Dunedin that leads to the most salvations. It's like, wow, that's incredible. That's kind of what happened in the Bible. But come on, are we a secure enough people that we're like, they can do it. That's great. doesn't matter who preaches it, it's reaching the world. But come on, Paul's a great encouragement because he's unworthy. In this list later, it lists, um, lists Peter as well um, as, as someone who's significant in advancing the Bible. And it's funny because Peter denied Jesus three times. Come on, even if you've walked a life with Jesus and you've turned your back on Him, do you know He loves you? He loves you so much and it's actually not, it's never too late to turn back to Him. Like Peter denied Jesus three times. Like Peter and Jesus were like best buddies and He denies Him. But Jesus says, no, Peter's worthy of advancing my cause. And then James is mentioned later as well. And the funny thing about James is that he was the brother or half-brother of Jesus. And of course, like any good brother, when Jesus said, I'm the son of God, the brother was like, get off your horse. <laughs> There's no way. Heard that one before to try and get something over me. So naturally, it's pretty easy why James doubted um, but there's a moment where he believes and then starts to advance the gospel. And he's considered worthy as well. Come on, no matter where you're at, you're worthy of his gift of salvation. Man, we've gone way too long. So let's wrap this thing up. Why don't you stand to your feet tonight and let's just pray, eh? Jesus, we thank you that you're in this place and that you love us and that you're for us. Thank you that you considered us worthy. And I thank you that when you come into our life and we have an experience with you, there's a transaction where, where our self-worth begins to get placed in you, where, where uh, a supernatural strength comes into our spirit and where we, we begin to not need the approval of others because you, you gave us the greatest approval, which was your son. Jesus, we're so thankful and we just pray in this moment you'd refresh us and encourage us and that we'd go out of this place knowing that we're empowered, that we're loved and you're for us, not against us. We thank you for your presence tonight. Thank you for listening to this message recorded at Equipus Church, Dunedin. We pray it blessed you. For more information, please visit equipuschurch.com.